Hello everybody, welcome back to the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, the audio show that hopes to be a lot more like Timu Puki's volley at Newcastle rather than his miss at Tottenham, but we'll uh, we'll let you be the judge of that. Uh, two games to kind of discuss this week with you. Uh, I'm your, your, this week's host, uh, Connor Southwell, standing in for, for David Freezer while he enjoys a bit of a break and uh, we're joined by uh, my colleagues Paddy Davitt and Adam Harvey to review the last two Norwich City games. Of course, a, a 1-1 draw in the North East against Newcastle United and a 3-0 defeat against Tottenham on Sunday. Um, we're actually going to start with the latter of those two games. We're going to start with the Tottenham game and work backwards, which maybe isn't a, a normal way to do it. But, you know, it's all about doing things differently, is it? As, as we'll come back on to uh, later in the pod. Um, Pads, when we talk about this this Tottenham game, people are going to look at the scoreline. And Dean Smith um, said after the game, he hoped that it wasn't subjected to, to lazy punditry. So I hope he doesn't listen to the podcast. Um, but... It is a 3-0 loss and people will view that in a certain way. But is there an element of outcome bias about this result? The fact that maybe it's a 3-0 defeat, but for a large portion of that game, probably namely between the first and the 67th minute, Norwich were, were well in this contest. They certainly were until, quote, Dean Smith, quote, very annoyed at the manner of that second goal, which you know anybody who watched it, either live or, or subsequently, was a pretty shoddy one from a defensive point of view. You know, a corner they allowed a near post run unmarked and then even the, the touch from Sanchez, bit fortunate, but still. Um, but yeah, no, just uh, before I get into that, I mean, you, his quote that you uh, re- repeated there, Connor, about lazy punditry, that was in response to one of my questions. So I'm a bit, I was a bit concerned when I saw him making the link between me and lazy punditry. I don't know where he's got that idea. He's only been in the build. Give, give him at least two months before he arrives at that conclusion. But uh yeah, he's right. I, I, my own sort of watching that unfold as we all three of us did at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was more positives than negatives. But ultimately, the final whistle blows and it's a three 0 defeat, and uh, and that feels like you know they've been well beaten and well off the pace. And in some facets, of course, namely goal scoring, they were. But uh, but you look at the possession stats and as much as you want to place any store by that. But Norwich did have a, a fair modicum of control in terms of how the game ebbed and flowed. And partly that might have been Tottenham's set-up under Conte was clearly to sit back and almost wait for Norwich just to sort of um, get bored going laterally too often. But uh, And then you attack with Ming, Young Ming Song and uh, Lucas Moura, notably, and then obviously Harry Kane. You know, as Dean Smith said, that was a lot of the reasoning why he tweaked the system and went, three defenders essentially and two wingbacks was because he didn't want to quote go gung-ho um, and expose yourself to those three in particular who are in Premier League terms as good as possibly everybody bar the, the, the Liverpool sort of battery of, of, of ammunition that they can put on the pitch but uh, yeah I guess it's how positive you want to be how, how full is your glass because you know a 3-0 defeat you've looked poor again in terms of attacking when you did create some very good chances and you've also looked poor in some of the key defensive moments. That feels like a bit of a throwback to the pre-Smith era uh, this season under Farker. And of course, that that trend continues. It won't be anywhere near good enough. And, you know, a defeat of that manner does nothing for the alarming goal difference as well. So all of those are true. All of those will have to be digested and worked on particularly. Um, but let's not lose sight of there was some positive elements in that performance, but also if you if you spread it over the four games we've had under Smith and Shakespeare, that I think there's more there's more positives and there's more reasons to be encouraged than maybe fearing this is a continuation of a fairly regressive trend under Daniel this season. And final thing I'd say for now is, as Dean Smith said, you know, he feels that they should have had more points on the board in those four games, and you wouldn't tend to disagree now. They haven't because of their own deficiencies as much as the quality they encountered against Tottenham. But I think there there is a there is a platform there and something you can see is trying to build that maybe not against the Tottenham's of this world who have that killer quality in, in the final third, but you know, certainly against some of the lesser lights might over the entire remainder of this season be enough to bring them certainly into a competitive space to to try and stay up. But uh yeah, I guess ultimately the 3-0 defeat does feel, if you didn't digest the game as we did, a little bit like more of the same and more of the same, as we know, isn't going to be good, good enough for Norwich this season. 
It's, it is interesting when we assess this game, Adam, because ultimately we're left with a conflict between maybe what the result tells us and and perhaps what the performance told us for, for large portions of that game. And ultimately, there will be Norwich City fans who will put their fingers in their ears and say, well, performances don't mean anything, really. It's about points, particularly at this stage of the season where Norwich City currently find themselves in. But given what Paddy said there about the change that we've had in the dugout and maybe the improvements that Dean Smith laid out, it, it is it is important because these are elements that they can control within their performances. And as a general rule of football, if you can improve your performances and get them to a relatively consistent level, then as a result, the results tend to follow. So do you feel a little bit split by how to assess this this game against Tottenham? Yeah, obviously those first 11 games under, under Daniel Farker, I think most fans would say the performances weren't there. And you probably didn't see Norwich City even picking up a point in most of those games, they've been comfortably beaten many times. And you can say under, De- under Dean Smith that those performances have generally improved and the points have also improved as well. I mean, five points from 12 is, is still not a bad, you know, take from, from those games. I think, obviously, as Paddy alluded to, we probably should have had more and Dean Smith's also said that. But yeah, as, as a rule of thumb, I mean, going to Tottenham away, you're probably not expecting to, to come away from there with anything, let alone three points. So I think to... To go go from that, you know, in terms of the performance we got there, and then I think you then go forward into these games sort of coming up with sort of more positivity based on the fact that if we'd have had sort of that clinical edge up top yesterday, I think that game could have been very very different. I mean, you look at that Pooky chance early on. If he'd have buried that in the back of the net, you go one 0 up, and those Tottenham fans might have slowly started to sort of turn, or or the atmosphere wouldn't have been so loud as it was in that sort of ends down behind the goal at that point. So. I do think the performances are quite crucial under Deanston. We have seen a general improvement. Obviously, Newcastle, which we're going to speak about in, in a moment, that wasn't such a great performance. But again, there was a the issue of 10 men in that game and you know, a change of formation and, and tactics and everything that would have had to have come with that. So as a rule of thumb, I do think that the performances are improving and, and we will see generally that the points will also improve with that as well. Yeah, we'll come back to the missed opportunities. I can see Paddy's practically jumping out of his chair to discuss some of them. So uh, we'll get back to them in in a second. But just on, on this theme of kind of performances and results and where Norwich City are on, on that kind of spectrum, um, it, it is interesting, I think, that we have seen an improvement in terms of, uh, and again, Dean Smith called himself a bit of a data geek when he arrives at Norwich. The performance data is heading in the, in the right direction. That's not to over-egg this performance and say that Norwich City deserved anything out of the game because they didn't. But I think it's probably a fair assessment to also say 3-0 probably isn't a, a reflection on how the game went. It probably wasn't as dominant uh, as that as that looked. Um, so, so that sort of lends the question, Pad, how do Norwich City marry marry those two things up? How do they get the performances in a place where the levels continue? Dean Smith sees what he wants to see in terms of intensity, in terms of a game plan. We saw Norwich tweak it yesterday and getting the results to align with those as well. Is it just a matter of time before those two things align? Does it come back to that point, what we're kind of speaking about, about um, quality in both boxes, which is an issue that Norwich City have had all season? It was something that Daniel Farker mapped out. How, how do you kind of see... Dean Smith's next challenge of getting the performances or improved performances to result to improved results because arguably the game that they they won which was against Southampton was maybe their worst performance of, of any of the Dean Smith games so far over the entirety yeah I tend to agree I mean they were a little bit let well they were a lot laboured at Newcastle against uh, 10 men for 80 minutes but um that's a really. I don't think. I don't think there's a, don't think a very simple answer to that. It's personnel. You know, it's personnel needing to step up now. Lee Malou, I'll, I'll pick him out. I don't think he's he's anywhere near the levels required. I'm not sure what he is in terms of what top midfielder. What he certainly isn't at the minute, anyway. Uh, and I don't wish to single him out particularly, but he's not somebody who looks like he can influence Premier League games in quite certainly the way uh, Matthias Norman had started to do or Mia Rashica. So it's personnel. It's trying to improve those. It's you know, to quote Dean Smith, it's coming to the party. If you're one of those attacking players who isn't going by the name of Timu Puka, you need to start scoring some goals. Um, defensively, as I say, defensively yesterday, okay, the, the corner's a poor one because it's a set piece and clearly him and Shakespeare have placed a lot of store both about attacking set pieces as an opportunity. Go back to the Southampton game. Grant Hanley scores the winner from a Billy Gilmore deep corner. Um, but also defensively as well. It's such a cheap goal to give away. Um, but overall, defensively, yeah, I mean, Gibson can do better for the third goal for me when Son sort of veers, ac- veers across the box. And in the final act before he shoots, he just sort of shrugs off Gibson. I think he needs to be a lot stronger in his one-on-one defending. But 
Overall, I didn't. I didn't think. Yes, of course, they've conceded three goals, and then even the first goal. I mean, it's a tremendous strike. But it, you know, he's how many players has he popped the ball around? If you Lucas Moura there, so of course you can deconstruct any goal that you concede and and look at it from a defensive point of view. What you didn't do, but despite conceding three goals, it might seem strange to say. I don't think as a collective defensive unit it, it was that lacking. Really, it's certainly not that far removed from what we'd seen previously under the three, three previous Smith games. So. In that regard, I think it's just it's tweaking one or two things rather than right. Okay, we need to start again, and Kabak needs to come in, and Obama Daly needs to start. You know, I don't think it, we, we need to get carried away with that. That marked a, a new nadir. Into I mean, it was you know you contrast last yesterday with one of, was it their last trip to no total like the one before Brentford, which was Chelsea, where they were a complete shambles individually, collectively, defensively without the ball that day. So you know, by no manner of means are we in that territory and. Defensively, yeah, I think I think for me the focus is maybe some of some of those midfield places. But I don't feel he's quite getting what he needs collectively and individually with and without the ball. And we've said that really from day one, uh, the start of the season, it didn't feel quite right. The balance, and of course, magnified by a player in the opposition ranks on Sunday, and Ollie Skip, who I think if he'd have dropped him into that midfield mix, certainly in those opening months, which were very very difficult fixtures, I don't think Norwich would have been quite so easy to play against and around and probably not conceded in quite the quantities they did. But that's wishful thinking. He's not part of the mix. So Matthias Norman looked to be capable of offering some of those attributes. And unfortunately, just through injury, with this ongoing pelvic issue, he's not available at the minute. And Rashica in the last two games, that's a big blow as well because he was really rounding into some form that suggested that goal and that assist wasn't too far away. So clearly, you know, that is out of... Dean Smith's control, but he certainly needs those two back sooner rather than later. And then I just think it's kind of re-emphasising the fundamentals him and Shakespeare have tried to put in place um, in terms of the shape and the work and, and the set-piece work as well, the organisation. And then finally, it probably is personnel. It's Elise Malou, you get an opportunity, grasp it. Don't let the game pass you by, as I felt it did again yesterday. Um, Ditto Dowell, when he's had opportunities, I don't think he's grasped it. And And Adamida, I thought generally his all-round play was decent, but you know he's he's been paired alongside Puki yesterday to offer a goal threat, and he's had an absolutely nailed-on opportunity to get off the mark, six yards out, no one near him, and he side foots it wide, and and Sergeant of course as well later on. So, you know, ultimately all Dean Smith can do is work with the resource he's got available. You know, the solution has to lie within between now and January, and he and even when January comes around and the window opens. I don't think they've got the finance to suddenly go again on the scale they did in the summer. So it's really for Dean Smith and Shakespeare to extract more from this group of players. Now that is partly down to the coaching and the messaging and what they do day to day at Colney. But for me, it's now increasingly more, it's on the players. You know, if you're Lee Malou, if you're Sergeant, if you're Ida, you know, even Jolis at Newcastle, they, they haven't grasped their opportunities for me to really put an imprint on a Premier League game for Norwich and say, right, I'm in now and I'm not getting out again and, it, and you're going to have to keep playing me and you will do that through the quality of my performance levels. Now, ultimately, if we're still talking along these lines in a month and two months' time, that good signs but too many bad signs, then we may have to, sadly, arrive at the conclusion they're simply not good enough or there's too many who aren't Premier League grade. And, of course, that was the charge Rightly, you could have labelled the Daniel Farker Premier League team of two seasons ago that they, in the final analysis, whatever else did or didn't happen, the raw material wasn't good enough. And everything we were told about the summer transfer window particularly, and also the lads who'd come back to the Premier League having been here two years ago, that they were two years further on in their development, their experience. They knew maybe a little bit more about what the Premier League was all about. Then we might have to reassess some of those sort of things that were put to us at this, before a ball was kicked this season because... You know, if, if we're getting into sort of January, February and we're still talking about, well, at least Malou hasn't really, really convinced or either doesn't look like he's going to have enough goals in him or Sargent, then right here, right now for this season, you have to say the conclusion would be that it, it really boils down to the players aren't good enough. And um, we'll soon find out in the weeks ahead, I think. I guess it's difficult because if, if we're talking about a 3-0 defeat and, and we were talking about it a few weeks ago under Daniel Farker and it was, well, 
they lost three nil, but at least it wasn't seven. And now we're talking about a three nil defeat, and it's uh, and we're saying, well, it was it was three nil, but maybe two uh, nil or one nil would have been a fairer reflection on how the game actually went. Ultimately, they've still lost three nil. So, as you say, and as you rightly say, Pad, in the final analysis, they've lost the game and uh, and they've lost it poorly. So irrespective of, of what their performance is like, ultimately results, I suppose, will dictate how we feel about those performances, I suppose. Um, Adam, just to, before, again, before we get onto the chances, which I promise we'll get onto in just a second, um, Dean Smith tweaked his, his formation for this one. It was the first time that we've seen him sort of veer away from the 4-3-3 that he played in in his opening three games. This was more a 3-5-2 or a 5-3-2, however you want to look at it. Um, entirely up to you, but the wing-backs did push on, so I'd be inclined to say it was more of a 3-5-2. A um, Dean Smith explained that he felt that was because Norwich needed to have more men in central areas because of the quality that Son Heung-min, Harry Kane and Lucas Moura have, although two of those still, still got on the, on the score sheet. But as we said, for large periods defensively, they did that well. He wanted to cause them a problem at the other end with, with Adam Eder and Timo Puki. The last time, as Paddy mentioned, that Norwich played this system, it was at Chelsea. They lost 7-0. It's fair to say that from that perspective, it looked a, a bit more solid. But do you see that formation being a viable sort of blueprint going forward for Norwich City now? We've got Manchester United at, at the weekend. Do you see that as another opportunity for Dean Smith to give this 3-5-2 a go? Obviously, it seemed to, seemed to work generally okay yesterday. I think if Norwich buried one of the chances they had, then I think people would have said that that sort of did work in general. Obviously, defensively, as you've said, you know, they were much more resolute other than obviously the fact they did concede free, but those chances probably should have been closed down, particularly the first one, a lot quicker. Um, obviously, Manu yesterday went in with a, a 4-2-2-2 under uh, Ralph Ragnick for the first game. So, obviously, it depends on what formation he's going to play midweek in the Champions League as to whether that is something he's going to bring to Carroll Road on Saturday and the personnel that obviously he's got, whether he's going to you know tweak that at all going into that game uh, next Saturday. I think that'll obviously, you know, Dean Smith will do some work in the week and, and try and work out, you know, what sort of formation he's going to bring as to what's going to work best. Because obviously we have seen under him that he is willing to to change personnel and formation. Obviously, Farker in previous regimes hasn't really done that. He's obviously in the championship typically stick with a 4-2-3-1. Um, and in the Premier League this season, obviously started off with a 4-3-3, but obviously what did for five at the back when things were going wrong at the start of the year to try and, you know, stop conceding so many goals. But we have seen Dean Smith sort of tweak formation so far this season, and I wouldn't be necessarily saying that he would do that on Saturday if he felt that you know it worked well enough yesterday. But I do think a lot will depend on what man you potentially put out uh, during the week and, and what you think is going to work best. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the point you mentioned about Manchester United, and we might come back to that later on, actually, if we've, if we've got enough time towards the end. Um, that probably lends us nicely. We've done 18 minutes so far without talking about uh, well, you both touched upon them, but the, the three major opportunities, obviously Timu Puki's after three minutes where it's some some good work from from Lise Malou and Ida down the right. Um, Ida's cross picks Puki out. It's it's almost made for him, isn't it? He's um, not probably about eight, eight, nine yards out from, from goal and he just sweeps it straight into the hands of Lloris. Um, we know what happens a few minutes later with Tottenham opening the score. Adam Ida has one um, later on where, again, Puki completely slices his shot from a Brandon Williams cross it falls to Adam Eder he can't be more than six yards out and he side foots it wide uh, my only maybe defense is that the ball came to him quickly it was quite an instinctive way that he just fl flung his leg out it was almost in in hope rather than an expectation that he would get to it he doesn't connect with it cleanly and then of course the Josh Sargent one late on um, and, and for all the talk about coaching and what Dean Smith can maybe do on the training pitch there's not much you can do if if, if you're free strikers who you want those chances to fall to are missing them and it's fair to say, Pad, the concern isn't that this is one-off in isolation. You, you look at the chances that Norwich City have missed this season. Josh Sargent against Brighton, that would have almost certainly guaranteed three, three points. Um, you've, you've got the ones that were missed against Wolves. Lucas Rupp um, miss, missed um, a big one. Uh, Timu Puki as well. Max Aarons missed one. Um, you look at the midweek in Newcastle. Pierre Lace Malou has a glorious chance in the final minute to win it. And these small moments slowly but surely over the course of the opening 15 games of the season have chipped away at Norwich City's points total and that is going to be the, the frustration for Norwich City fans. Yeah, I mean, when you were recounting the three Tottenham chances there, we, in terms of the proximity of the of where we were sat in the press area to Dean Smith was not a huge amount away and kind of looking down on him, um, but not from a great height. And on all three of those opportunities, hands thrust ahead as if, what have I seen here? How, 
how we how have we not scored a goal on three separate occasions and that just underlines how much frustration he will have felt on the touchline because he will have known you know the pookie chance nil nil early in the game norwich have started very well almost as if maybe that shape and the positional tweak had caught tottenham and conte out a little bit um and norwich go one nil up in an environment where, you know, fifth, I think it was 57,000 attendants, subtract the 3,000 or so from Norwich, 54,000 of those fans would have probably not wasted a huge amount of time getting on to the home players if they'd fallen 1-0 behind to a team who, at kickoff were propping up the division and and deservedly so on the balance of the early early evidence. So it boils down to, and then you subsequently picked out, you know, all those other Elements Sargent against Brighton and Lise Malou against Newcastle. These are big moments in big games for Norwich, and they haven't been able to take those big moments. And I'm not going to repeat what I said in my previous answer, but but ultimately, if that trend continues for the next month, six weeks, two months, uh, then you have to you have to question whether the players really are good enough. And then that will then obviously open a bit of a Pandora's box about the recruitment in the in the summer just gone and or the faith shown in the, the guys who come back via the championship promotion route, you know, and all those questions will have to be answered because the evidence will be fairly compelling. Uh, and that ultimately, what you've mapped out there, Connor, was it's pertinent because this time two seasons ago, was it December where they played Wolves and played Tottenham and there was one or two others, Palace springs to mind. Sheffield and United. All, and almost the common theme was, Norwich deserved far more than they got and created really good chances and didn't take them in a series of games. Uh, and then you look back and how that rest of that season petered out really in quite miserable fashion, how different it would have been if they'd maybe got the points all, their football, the quality of their play and the chances they created had merited through that December period. And I really hope we're not sat here January the 1st sort of looking back and, and sort of saying, yeah, well, those parallels are, are obvious and we can't really ignore them because... You know, at some point, if you're going to do what Norwich want to try and do, stay in the division, then you cannot simply, if you, you go through with a keeper to beat, as Lise Malou did at Newcastle in the 90, whatever it was, minute, and such a lack of conviction about his effort. Uh, same with Sargent against Brighton, same with the three opportunities they had against Tottenham. You know, there's a real lack of belief and, and almost, I'm surprised the ball's coming to me in this golden shooting opportunity and I can't sort my feet out quick enough. It's, you know, it's a really difficult one if you're Dean Smith because what you can't really get into the players too much because ultimately what he and Shakespeare are about now is building up their confidence and building up their belief. Um, and I guess as much as they can't really financially look to do too much in January, what Smith does or doesn't see between now and January, I'm pretty sure will dictate in his own mind where he, where he believes these group of players can take them. I mean, he's basically said, He's still in this sort of phase of him and Shakespeare assessing what they've got in the squad. Well, I'd imagine if we roll on through the rest of this month and we're still sort of looking at a team who are struggling at the wrong end of the table and struggling to score goals and struggling to keep them out, then I think he'll have already made his mind up. And then, of course, you know, it's a very difficult scenario for Stuart Webber because if Dean Smith and Shakespeare go to him and say, listen, we've looked at this group of players, we don't think there's enough here to keep them up, we're going to need to do something in January, then given the financial restrictions, given how difficult a market is generally, that's going to be an extremely tough ask. So, you know, we can't overemphasise how crucial now these next few games are for so many reasons. For individual players, for Dean Smith and Shakespeare to maybe make definitive assessments and also, fundamentally, whether Stuart Webber is going to be able to put his feet up for most of January or whether he's going to be burning the midnight oil and, and, and his phone bill is going to go through the roof. So um, it's all to play for, really, starting with, you know, what on the paper looks a very, very uh, exciting car road affair against Manchester United. But, you know, without getting into too much depth about what's beyond the horizon, but, you know, West Ham, Arsenal, Villa and all the Dean Smith, Emmy Buendia subplot to that. Um, it's not the easiest of runs on paper. So, um, but that that's what it is. And that's the Premier League and Norwich just have to crack on with it. But, you know, it is... It's worryingly hard to to shed the feeling that they've probably left four points out there against Wolves and Newcastle, and what could that mean in terms of the bigger picture? Because if you add four points to what they were already on the board, if if not out of the bottom three, they'd be pretty close. In fact, I think they probably would have been they'd out. Be out. Yeah, yeah, they would. And and then the Tottenham game you could package in the 
within, uh, well, yeah, but it's Tottenham and, and that's not who we're competing against. We're competing against Newcastle and those type of teams and, and we've picked up points under Smith already. So, so yeah, but, you know, we can't look back now. Those games are gone. Uh, they didn't get the extra four points. So it's all about looking forward now. But I just think if you're Smith and Shakespeare and you see a, a few more of these type of performances where a lot of good things, but in the key moments, in the key parts of games, not enough quality, not enough belief or conviction, then you'll probably swiftly arrive at the conclusion we need a bit of help, Stuart. Yeah, we're told regularly um, in terms of people who, who do football analysis, it's not necessarily about players missing opportunities. It's about being in the positions to miss the opportunities. And it's worth noting that, that Norwich's uh, expected goals, if that's a figure that, that you align with, and a lot of people don't, but the facts are that in, in three of, of Smith's four games, Norwich have, have registered an XG of of over one, which is significantly higher than they were um, measuring on average under Daniel Farker. That does show an improvement of in terms of the creation of chances. Um, and I do have a slight issue to an extent with oh, people, and, and maybe this isn't the tone, maybe I'm reading it wrong, but it feels like a lot of it is, oh, don't worry, in January, Norwich will get a striker and it will be fine. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a more difficult market for one, um, they tried to do the same in the summer and ultimately ended up with Josh Sargent, who at the moment is a player who doesn't really look of the, the standard um, of what they need. They spent nearly five, £9 million pounds on him. Um, so I'm not necessarily sure that the answer is within the January transfer window. And if it is, um, it's probably worth 20 or £30 million. Pounds, and that's just simply not doable on, on any kind of level for Norwich City. And equally... Any striker that they do get at the moment, if we're talking about being in the financial constraints of what they have available, is probably going to be closer to Josh Sargent than it is Timu Puki. So that's very difficult. And if you're a striker looking at it, you will look at Norwich City and go, oh, well, Timu Puki's played a lot of minutes, so I'm not going to get many. It's very difficult to then attract a, a striker who's going to be off the standard, I think. So I'm not necessarily sure the answer exists within the January transfer window, unless they could do something clever around the loan, which maybe we'll come back to. But equally, there's five games until then, Adam. And, and as Paddy mapped out there, they're against very tough opposition. And there is the danger that very quickly Norwich City get cut adrift. That's a real possibility. The fixtures they have at this month are, are very hard. Look, they could win a couple and we could all be looking upwards rather than, well, you can't look over the shoulders because they're bottom of the division. But you, you know what I mean? Rather than looking in and around them, I suppose. So there is an element, actually, that this is an issue that Norwich City kind of need to resolve now rather than in a month's time where I suppose in many ways it could be a little bit too late for them. I think that's the problem, irrespective of whether we get to January and they want to try and bring in a striker. If Norwich have registered zero points or even just three points and they're cut adrift at the bottom, then who's going to want to come into the club? And there's nothing really to play for at that point because they could potentially be in an area where they almost, not necessarily relegated, but they kind of look into the point where they are so far cut adrift that it's going to be a huge, huge task, even bigger than it is when Dean Smith came in. And obviously, we we kind of spoke about it yesterday. Uh, going back, it probably would have to be a loan loan signing, and if you're going to try and do that, then you probably need to try and get rid of one, and that would probably have to be Kabak if he's not going to get minutes uh, under Dean Smith, which at the moment it doesn't look like he's going to get any. But then again, who's that going to be? What sort of strike would Dean Smith want to bring in? Um, who's going to come in and score goals? Because I think Ida looks quite raw still, probably needs minutes and more game time. Maybe a championship loan would be something that would be more feasible for him. And, and Sergeant, we've seen more as a wide man as opposed to a striker under Dean Smith and even under Farker uh, towards the end. So other than Pukki, who potentially, if an injury came in as well before, before Christmas, then that could really be you know, a huge blow for Norwich if they are going to try and register some points between now and, and that January transfer window anyway. Is that where we are then, Pad, with it? Is is this now about not necessarily what Norwich City are doing as a team and the construction of chances anymore? Is it about the quality they have when they get in those positions? And given what we've said here about January and how difficult a market that is, everyone seems to be looking for a striker in January. That tends to be the, the saying, doesn't it? Stuart Webber has already predicted a very quiet window, not just for Norwich City, but in general, beyond probably Newcastle United. We know he doesn't like particularly operating in, in, in the winter markets. He, he sees that as... Um, a moment or a window, really a month of uh, of panic and, and, and confusion, I suppose. So how do Norwich City go about improving their goals return? Because the simple truth at the moment is that unless Timu Puki scores a goal for Norwich City, Norwich City very rarely score. So if we're saying that the chances are being created, they're not being converted, 
and maybe the resource isn't going to be there in January to certainly buy a striker who's maybe of the standard that they need, where ultimately do we end up? If I knew the answer to that, Connor, I would I would be selling that to the highest bidder, let me tell you. Because uh, if you're saying we can't buy anybody and they don't look like they've got enough quality... Well, it's, isn't, it, isn't it more about that if Norwich buy someone, as, as they did with Josh Sargent in the summer, they're essentially going to buy a player who isn't rough or ready essentially for this level there's going to be an element of risk there's going to be probably a youth about them uh, uh, maybe a, a ceiling that they need to fulfill that maybe they're not currently at right now isn't that more the point rather than sort of the, the one you're making I suppose well I mean ultimately that just comes down to and yes January is a tougher window to do this than the summer because it's much more concertinaed and much more desperation whether you're at the top or trying to get to the top or you, as Norwich look like they're going to be at the bottom trying to stay out of the bottom so but ultimately it comes down to how astute is your recruitment how, how good is your scouting how good is your analysis then do you have somebody in a position like a Stuart Weber who can go and uh, you know find a gem or two I mean it was I know he didn't come in in the January but Emmy Buendia was a deal that they constructed and got over the line in a January and, and I think he again came in um, a few months later. But, you know, there's other examples of deals they've constructed in January. Um, so it is doable. I don't think it's 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 literally a case of Stuart Weber doesn't like working in January, so forget it. Because ultimately, what's changed this January, as opposed to all the other Januaries when he was in charge at Norwich, is the head coach has changed. And pretty, pretty recently, certainly in terms of the proximity to the window, and ultimately, Dean Smith, I'm sure, will will want to put start to put his stamp on it in terms of bringing in one or two of his own players, um, while still clearly, as as he must do, work with essentially Daniel Farker's squad. Um, but that goes back to what we said earlier. If he gets to the end of December and he really has seen a body of games and a body of training as well, because as he said when he first came through the door, he's watching everything. You know everything about the behaviours and how they are around the training ground, how they interact with people. You know, all of that information is getting processed by him and Shakespeare and they will arrive pretty soon, I think, at a definitive conclusion on a lot of players in that current squad. And if if the balance tips too far towards we need some help, then Stuart Weber needs to find him some help. And how he does that is obviously the great imponderable. But, you know, you touched on it a little bit earlier. We could probably get into that now. You know, if Kabak doesn't kick a ball between now and, and January, then I think it's in all their all the interested parties to shake hands and back you go to Schalke, mate. And that, and that would feasibly uh, free up a potential overseas loan route. So you're not, you know, committing to a, a huge six, seven, eight, nine plus million pound outlay. Cause I don't think they've got the money certainly in the current climate to do that without maybe selling one of the, the younger players potentially, um, which I'm sure is a route they wouldn't want to go down because ultimately they need every bit of quality they can get their hands on to try and stay up. So it, uh, are the you know we don't know, but but are the wheels already starting to move in that direction? You know that 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 is a, a creative way potentially, and of course you've then still got to find somebody in a foreign market. There's a there's a lad who's scoring a lot of goals in is it Croatia at the minute? I forget his name, but uh, they can maybe go and get him. I think I think he knows a little bit about Norwich as well. So, but flippancy aside, is there a player doing something similar? in one of these European leagues that they could maybe loan with a view to and and, and then twice twice the player and club uh, to part with said player in January. But you are right. I mean, whoever, if they do bring anybody in, whoever they bring in, there's going to be an element of gamble, as there was, sadly, and it failed, Andre Duda when he came in in, in the January of the Premier League season under Farker with his huge reputation. I mean, I remember Daniel saying this, if we'd wanted to buy this guy in the previous summer, Twenty-five million pounds after after he had an unbelievable season in the Bundesliga, an attacking midfielder with goals, quality, uh, ability to assist. We saw none of that whatsoever. Um, so that unfortunately is the, is the huge roll of the dice. If they decide, or if Dean Smith decides, I need help here, Stuart. Then I would imagine Weber will try and deliver, and and his track record tells you he probably will be able to deliver by hook or by crook. But whoever he delivers, there's still a huge element of gamble because. You know, if they've not had any Premier League exposure or any exposure to the English game, then all of that is up in the air. And and it's not like you can let them bed in for six months um, because by then the season will be well over and uh, Norwich's fate will have been sealed one way or the other. So, look, there's no easy answers, is there? If 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 the current Smith and Shakespeare cannot get a tune, as he said yesterday, if, if 
certain players cannot come to the party. And it isn't just Eda or Sargent. You know, it's Rashica when he's fit and firing. It's all right showing us potentially what he can offer. We need to see it. We need to see goals. We need to see assists. Zolis, if he gets an opportunity. Cantwell, if he comes back into the fold and gets a run of games. There's a player who has a track record, albeit a smallish sample, but still a track record of goals and assists in the Premier League. We need to see something from him. Dowell finally needs to grasp the nettle, you know. Um, this is where we're at. This is where Dean Smith is at. It, it's about this group of players and, you know, can he extract it, but can those players step up to the mark? And, you know, we will find out pretty soon, I think, whether whether either he can get a tune out of them or whether they're good enough to get a tune out of. And if they're not, then... You know, it's going to be a very difficult few months ahead, I think. But uh, but as I say, I mean, you know, we're talking here off the back of a 3-0, which has maybe exposed some of the flaws and, and the structural imbalances in the squad that we, we'd, we'd seen too often under Farker. But prior to Sunday, you know, three very, very encouraging performances to Carra Road, where, you know, with the crowd behind them, they really had Southampton and Wolves, to a, to a degree, on the ropes. And, and I think... Any team coming to Cairo, as Dean Smith has already said, need to get back on the coach at the end. And that applies to Manchester United this weekend, knowing they've had a hell of a game. And and I, I think whatever we can get into the whys and wherefores about the quality deficit or, or the, the chronic lack of goals or maybe the defensive issues still that persist, I think they've still got enough about them to give any team a tough game at Cairo Road. And, and then it's just, as we said a bit earlier on the pod, in the key moments, can they find the right, right answer? Can they score the goal, find the killer pass. Can they be resolute when they get put under pressure at the other end? And and, and ultimately, when the dust settles and we, we, all the talking stops, if that isn't the case, then back to the championship they will go. Ultimately, Adam, we're, we're left talking again about a recruitment decision uh, and one potentially being made in January. And it's just about how they maybe shuffle their pack to do that. And I think you both make a good point about Kabak and maybe freeing up a an overseas loan to to potentially fill that hole. There's obviously been talk, um, which which I'll ask Pat about in a minute, about um, Adam Eda maybe going out on loan and Jordan Hugill coming back. But there has been, um, after after this defeat, and I would say it's probably been bubbling for a little while, Dean Smith mentioned about other players and other new signings needing to to come to the party a little bit. There's been some question marks over the, the work, the recruitment work that Norwich City did do in the summer uh, and particularly a lot of that has, uh, has arrived at Stuart Webber's door in, in his direction he obviously uh, it, it kind of felt that before Daniel Farker was sacked it was either you took the view that Norwich City as a Premier League squad uh, were underperforming and that was on the coach or that their recruitment wasn't quite as good as perhaps we all thought it was and Daniel Farker as, as he said the bus uh, driver couldn't do any better than, than what I did in, in the first 10 games whatever the quote was so ultimately it lays at Stuart Webber's door now he sacked Daniel Farker so clearly he feels that um, it is the the former of those he feels the squad is good enough Dean Smith has, has subsequently quite come in and, and is much more aligned to that view I, I would say so with the spotlight being placed on recruitment, do you, do you think that's particularly fair given the outlay that they spent in this summer, given what we've spoken about, about different players being at different stages? What have you made of perhaps some of the question marks being asked about Norwich City's work in the summer? I remember Stuart Webber's interview before the Leeds game and he referenced that a lot of these players obviously have never played at Premier League level. A lot of them are quite young players that will need time to develop, especially playing at the top level and arguably the best league in the world. But at the end of the day, Norwich City have spent seventy million pounds. You know, there's going to be a bit more expectation this season, and naturally, that's you know what what there has been. And ultimately, it, you know, under Daniel Farker, they they didn't really live up to that. And we are starting to see signs of that under Dean Smith that there is players amongst this group. Obviously, Rashika, I think obviously that injury is a huge blow because he really was starting to show that he has that capability to play at this level. And we're starting to see a player that was being touted with some big clubs uh, when he was at Bremen before, sort of that slight injury uh, hit spell he had in the, the last season with them. Uh, Norman, obviously, I think is probably the one that stood out in that regime, um, in that, that summer transfer window that they've brought in. Um, he really has sort of been the, the standout player for Norwich. And he's obviously has sort of had that goal threat as well, which for a, for a player that's obviously playing midfield is has been a huge bonus. Um, but yeah, on the whole, I'd say a lot of the players they brought in probably haven't lived up to that expectation. And we are starting to see that under Dean Smith, that there is definitely some players amongst that. But I think there's certain individuals that I'm not going to reference because it'll be a bit harsher on Josh Argent. But he is starting to get a bit of stick as well, which, you know, it is what it is. But 
Yeah, I do think that there's definitely some sort of room for manoeuvre as to what they bring in in January. Is that going to get the same stick, you know, if they don't get it right again under Stuart Webber in the Premier League? Uh, yeah, I think there's plenty of mitigation behind the, the summer deal. Someone like Christos Solis, for example, there's so much hype about um, 19 years of old, uh, years of age, rather, um, Greek international, new country, all of those elements, new league. Um, there's plenty of, uh, of stuff that you can maybe add to these players to caveat maybe why it's been perhaps a slower start than some were expecting. But as, as you rightly say, given the numbers involved, um, uh, what is it, the, the 11th highest spenders in Europe, there, there is always going to be a degree of expectation that comes with that. So, yeah, I think you make a valid point. Um, Pat, just finally to close off this debate on January striking options, where Norwich City currently are, the, the lack of goals, the chronic lack of goals, I suppose. They've only scored eight so far this season. Um, there was a report that emerged on Sunday morning, I think it was from Alan Nixon in the sum, um, about Azamida. Um, which was perhaps made more interesting given that he started a Premier League match for only the second time a few hours later. Um, but this essentially said that Norwich City were looking to get him out on loan. Nottingham Forest was listed as the club who was perhaps leading the the queue. And that as part of that, Norwich City would look to make up the numbers essentially by recalling Jordan Hugill, who um, has received plenty of criticism for his own performances at West Brom. So first and foremost, what do you make of, uh, of that report? Do you think it's viable? And, and second, Adam Eder and where he's currently at. I mean, we saw him again yesterday. I, I would agree with you. I, I felt particularly at Newcastle, it was a very good cameo. It was a step forward. There was plenty of open play that we saw. But there's still a rawness, isn't there, that underpins everything that he does at the moment. And he does just look like he needs to find a rhythm or get a consistent stream of game time. And, uh, and it's difficult to see how that's going to happen at Norwich City because of, of Timu Puki, quite, quite frankly. That is the problem. Yeah, unless you you change the lineup to accommodate both, as Dean Smith did yesterday. Uh, going back to the reports, I mean, it was the same journalist, I believe, who who had Ida swapping with Adam Armstrong when when that was you know gathering a lot of legs. Sadly, not in the direction of Norwich as he headed to Southampton. But uh, I don't know whether he's got a hotline to the Ida camp. I'm purely speculating there. But the, the bottom line is. Uh, Dean Smith clearly didn't read those reports because a matter of a few hours later, he's uh, he's naming him on his team sheet for his first Premier League start of the season. So, and when asked, funny enough, separate to any of that speculation, but on Friday about Eda specifically, he basically said, "I can see the potential. There's a talent there." Um, but Timu Puki, and these were Dean Smith's words, is the benchmark right here, right now, in terms of leading the line for Norwich, both in terms of goals, uh, which we've talked liberally at length about uh, in this podcast, and. Um, but also his general all-round play, and I'd agree with you. I think um, that miss aside, I thought was, I, I liked some of the work, things I saw from him in general play. You know, he has been a little bit too easy to get levered off the ball um, in the re, in the cameos that he has had thus far. But I, I felt the last two games, whether that's something somebody's pointed out to him, or, or you know, physically he's just worked at his ability to shield the ball. But you know, he had some really good tussles with Davinson Sanchez, particularly, and, and was able to hold the ball up, lay it off. There was a nice turn and pivot for Kenny McLean in the first half and that sort of led to an opportunity which came to nothing but real good hold at play and also ultimately if you if you actually click back in terms of the key moments in the game on Sunday the Timu Puki chance in the third minute came from an Adamida cross having sort of shown down the right and linked with Lisa Malou and, and then gone again and um, really penetrative play and um, just such a shame that you couldn't slot that in six yards out in the second half because a bit like with Sargent and Brian what would that have done to the confidence of a young man there who, who would have had his first Premier League goal under his belt. And uh, I think I'm right in saying first Premier League goal, aren't I? I don't, don't recall him yet. So, you know, I think I would, I would, I would in terms of Adam Eder and where he goes in January, I think I'd be inclined to take my lead from the fact that Dean Smith included him, that he's still very much open-minded about where Adam Eder is going to be playing his football from January onwards. Otherwise, I think maybe a little bit like Kabak, you know, he'd be at best on the bench and, and maybe not even making the 18. Um, but of course, that that partly might be due to there isn't a huge amount of striking depth in the group at senior level, hence why, to flip it, maybe the talk of Hugo. But I think that's probably more from the West Brom angle. You know, one goal in 16 loan appearances. He was on the bench again um, at Coventry on Saturday. That clearly isn't what he was hoping when he went to the Hawthorns uh, on a season-long loan. Nor is it what West Am uh, West Brom, sorry, we're hoping for. They're, they're well off the pace in terms of the automatics. Um, also included in that report was that they they are looking at bringing in some extra firepower themselves in January. Um, if so, then that might signal that they 
probably made up their minds that Hugel isn't for them for whatever reason. And uh, as a result, it might be with Hugel, um, I mean, speculating, it might be more a case of rather than Norwich want to bring him back, maybe it's West Brom sending him back. But, you know, it would be another body. We discussed this on the drive back from Tottenham. You know, it would be another body and a very popular figure in and around the group, an experienced head as well, albeit didn't have a huge amount of Premier League exposure with West Ham. You know, you debate whether on the pitch could he could he add an extra dimension. It didn't really happen for him at championship level. So it's hard to construct an argument that he could be the difference at Premier League level. But you know, in certain situations, to be throwing him on and offer a different threat, a bit more physical, a bit more direct, who knows, you know? But he certainly is a, a very positive presence around the dressing room. Um so there's there's definitely plus points to bring in Hugo back for me in January, but I don't subscribe to the theory that would necessarily be one in and one out because I think it's still, you know, ultimately if you've got the same number of strikers and you feel, you know, heaven forbid you're an injury away to Timu Buki from really exposing what you've got in the striking department, I don't think you'd roll the dice and let either go out, albeit on a personal level for the lad, we'll say he doesn't play too much more football between now and January. From a personal point of view, yes, that probably does make sense that he goes and has, I don't know, 20-odd games for a championship team, week in, week out, uh, and really, you know, get to grips. It was interesting, funny enough, just turning it around now before we got into the podcast, that Ollie Skip touched on him earlier. He was he was the cover photo, cover cover interview in Tottenham's matchday programme. I've read the interview, and he talked about when he went to, to Norwich, what his expectations were, and he hoped to play some regular football. He didn't think he would have played 45 out of 46 games for Norwich, but he, he, he basically talks in there about the huge difference between playing as opposed to training week in and week out, but not having the game at the weekend. Um, and clearly, you know, the proof's in the pudding. He went back to Tottenham, albeit it's a different manager there now, but he's gone back there and he's a, he's a starting option for Tottenham off the back of sustained loan football when he's gone from potential to, no, actually, this guy could be ready right here, right now for our first team. Adam Eden needs to go through the same transformation. And if it's not to be at Carra Road in an orange shirt, then it definitely needs to happen and, and happen pretty swiftly. Now, when I say swiftly, maybe not necessarily in January because of all the other issues around Dean Smith's sort of striking options. But certainly if we get to the end of this season and we look back and Adam Eder has stayed here and, and had a handful of starts, then I think it's absolutely imperative he gets himself away somewhere on loan in the summer and goes and plays a regular full season of ideally maybe championship football. Now, of course, I don't want to be a doom monger, but if Norwich find themselves back in the championship, then maybe his opportunity will come in a Norwich shirt. Um, but right here, right now, uh, I, I was a bit surprised that we've already seen speculation around Eder and his future um, because I just don't see allowing Eder out and not bringing anybody in. Even if you brought Hugel back, that to me doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of Norwich protecting their position at the top end of the pitch. Um, so time will tell, but... You know, I think I don't think it'll be the last story. Put it that way, we we read about Adam Eder if if he he goes sort of back to the bench and back to ten minutes here, five minutes there uh, between now and, and January, because that's not really in in his interests. It's not really in Norwich's interest because they they all feel Dean Smith's the latest to, to publicly say it. There is a talent there, but turning that talent into an an actual proven Premier League goal scorer, well, that that is the challenge now for Dean Smith, Shakespeare for. Neil Adams and Stuart Webber um, and all the coaches, really. How do you take him on that almost that last step from we think this guy's got all the raw material, but we now need to see him produce it? And and obviously, really, that's what we're talking about broadly, isn't it, in terms of the whole Norwich squad? Can the ones who have question marks against them at Premier League level, can they really step up now over these next few weeks particularly and prove, yes, that person is a Premier League player rather than probably a bridge too far? He turns 21 in, in February, doesn't he? I can't help but think about someone like Max Aarons and how many minutes he had by the time he was 21. Uh, Adam Eder, nowhere near that, certainly in terms of club term, um, perspective, certainly nowhere near that for, for Norwich City. And, and there is a fear that for all this talk of potential, if very soon we don't see it realised, then ultimately all we're going to be left with is a player who isn't quite good enough and, and that potential will have maybe burned away and, and I don't think given the journey he's been on since he arrived at Norwich in 2017 that anyone wants that to happen so um, yeah it's a, it's a little bit strange position that he finds himself in. Um, Adam I, I did want to reflect on on Newcastle very very quickly um, before we, we look ahead to, to Manchester United at, at the weekend. How, how did you kind of feel 
leaving St. James's Park because I saw a lot of, again, we, we spoke about maybe the Spurs scoreline not reflecting how the game had gone. Um, there was a lot of confliction around this result as well because there were some people who said, well, it's a point on the road in the Premier League. You can't kind of turn your nose up at that. It's maybe an improvement to where Norwich City were a few weeks ago. There were some people who, particularly given the context of Newcastle being down to 10 men essentially for 80 minutes, disappointed that Norwich City didn't win it. Um, There was frustration maybe at the manner of their performance um, and and they maybe didn't um, look as effective as um, has been the case under Smith, particularly in his opening two games. Where did you kind of find yourself on that spectrum after the game, somewhere between all three, because I can kind of put a foot in all camps and understand all of those perspectives. Yeah, I think it was a bit of a hard one to process because coming out of, you know, obviously got the late equaliser, which it was obviously being titled a relegation decider by by a certain organisation. And I think the more more importantly, Norwich didn't lose that game because I think that, well, look at it now, Newcastle would have another two points on the ball and Norwich would be one further worse off. So at least now they're still in that pack of teams that are chasing Watford just above the relegation zone. But it is one of those that I think if Pookie goes through and buries that chance and Clark doesn't get you know in and take him down for the red card, Norwich go 1-0 up. St James's Park obviously notoriously is a very sort of... If the fans get on top of you, and I think they would have turned quite quickly, even despite it being Eddie Howe's first game in the dugout, and you then go 1-0 up there, and then you've got something to build on. And we've seen Norwich in the last two games previously before that. You know, they had looked pretty good in general play. So I think they would have potentially gone and potentially built on that and, and maybe even come away with the three points. I do think the red card almost was probably not necessarily uh, what Norwich wanted because obviously they had to adapt and change change completely from the game plan that Smith had originally laid out for the game. But I think, yeah, in the end, probably a point was a fair result and Newcastle probably, well, they'd probably felt disappointed they didn't come away with all three and a lot of their fans were still felt fairly frustrated at the end of the game. So... Yeah, a decent point in the end. Any point away from home in the Premier League is is a good point. But I think the fact it was against 10 men for 80 minutes is is probably where the disappointment is at for for many Norwich fans, particularly when they played so well against Wolves in in the previous game. Yes, but it's probably the one of those that you look back on in April and it'll either look like a really good point or it'll look like two points dropped. And at the moment, I think given, uh, as we discussed, the chances that have been missed in some of these games, at the moment, it, they feel like points dropped rather than points gained. Maybe we'll, we'll view that slightly differently. And uh, as Paddy said earlier on, the next few, in the next few weeks when potentially the situation, we hope in a positive sense, could look a, um, a lot more different. Finally then, Pad, as we uh, as we look to close off the pod, Manchester United this weekend, it doesn't really get any easier for Norwich City from a fixture list perspective, but you have to play every team twice in the Premier League. So um, that that is part of it. Unfortunately, they haven't played Manchester United yet. Unfortunately for them, it, it comes at a point where they've got a new man in the dugout in Ralph Ranić, who... Um, is uh, essentially the, the the godfather of German coaching. They, they tell him he's, he's one of these coaches that have uh, influenced a lot of the top coaches, Thomas Tuchel, Jurgen Klopp, um, uh, Gagan pressing kind of style, very influential in the rise of the Red Bull teams as well, particularly Leipzig in Germany. Um, he is going to change Manchester United. It feels like, uh, similarly to what we saw with Smith, there's going to be some kind of bounce. I think the next 10 games for United are are relatively favourable. So it's probably fair to say that this pro- prospect at this moment, and as Adam says, they have a, get a Champions League game in midweek, is, is maybe slightly more difficult for Norwich City than it would have been if this game would have arrived four or five weeks ago when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was in the dugout. Yeah, it feels that way. Yeah, He's a bit of a soccer bot devotee, isn't he, as well? I'm pretty sure. You yes. want to get him down to Colney, you know, lock him in maybe, lock him in the soccer bot. <laughs> he won't be able to get to Car Road, I jest. Um yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, even if Solskjaer was still in play, you know, they are, a, a, well, I mean, it's hard hard to fathom with the amount of individual quality they have at their disposal, why they continually seem to be in this almost, dare I say, we've just discussed them, like that Newcastle-esque soap opera that seems to envelop that club, um, obviously for United, only post-Ferguson, but just with all 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 the cards that they can put on the table, what why are they still... Uh, really quite a way away from the Liverpools and the Man Cities for me, for and even Chelsea this season from you know being a, a serious Premier League title contender and uh, and as a result obviously Solchar's out and they brought in this guy and, and there's no doubt that I'm sure you know he will he will have a, an impact but you know ultimately I'm, I'm getting to the sense sort of stage now where it's almost 
to a degree, irrelevant who is in the opposite corner for Norwich now. It's got to the point where it has to be about Norwich. It has to be about what Dean Smith and Shakespeare can do in terms of setups, in terms of the, getting the right selection calls. And then the risk of sort of labouring the point, you know, the players that they trust to go out on the pitch, carry out the instructions. And actually, as Dean Smith keeps saying, you're not here by accident. You are Premier League players, but you need to go and show it now. You need to go and prove you do belong in this company. Um, and, you know, they did maybe for three of the first four games. They did to a degree at Tottenham, but ultimately some of the old failings came back to haunt them a little bit. That needs to be swiftly eradicated and they need to go again. And and I just think it's not a cliche you really want to lapse into, but at Carrow Road, I think the Saturday night under lights, pre-festive, the expectation, the noise that could be generated there, I think that can drive that group of players on and and hopefully to a positive result. Now, whether that's a win or not, um, time will tell. But certainly I look at that United group and I think, yeah, I mean, individually they can hurt you. There's no doubt about it. If they click, then, you know, as we saw with Lucas Moura and Son uh, on Sunday, individual quality sometimes at this level, you just have to hold your hands up and say, too good. And United have plenty of that in their in their armory, but they're where they are for a reason. They've made a change in the head coach for a reason. There's something clearly not quite right within that group of players within that dressing room. And I don't think a new coach, even if he is a, the guru of German coaching fraternity, is going to be able to eradicate all of those issues in the space of a week, eight days, working with the players on the training pitch. As Adam rightly said, you know they've also got a Champions League game uh, in between. So so the focus can't be fully on Norwich and Carrow Road. Albeit, I think they've already qualified for the later stages. But 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 that's from Norwich's point of view, another game, another distraction. That's all, all welcome. Um but I just think whether it be you know United at home, whether it was Wolves before, whether it's Southampton before that, it's about Norwich now. It's about Norwich as a collective, as individuals, driven on by Smith and Shakespeare, imposing themselves with the backing of a car road support behind them onto the opposition and just making life uncomfortable. And then we'll see, we'll see what these teams are made of, you know. If if they have the quality to to withstand that and you know produce something out of nothing, a moment of magic, then you just hold your hands up and you say, that's the Premier League. You know, that's what Norwich are up against, sadly. But what we don't want really is another nearly type of performance or well, if they could only, you know, take their chances, if they could only defend set pieces better. I don't really want the narrative after this game, whatever the result, to be more of the same, well, there you go. It's you know, each passing week tells you it isn't maybe the head coach was the issue, it was the players. Um, and that needs to change, and that needs to change pretty quickly because yes, under Smith so far, they've they've reattached themselves to that clump of clubs at the bottom, but you know, fail fail to take a decent amount of points between now and Christmas, then they'll be cut adrift again. And then it's you know, it's a it's a long way back. You know, it really isn't an over exaggeration for me to state that, you know, what what happens in the second part of the season could a long part of that could be decided by what happens in these next four or five games. And, uh, you know, United's the first one. It's at Car Road. So if Norwich take care of what they need to take care of, then what I do know is on the evidence of the Southampton second half, particularly Wolves second half, but probably an hour against Wolves, that United will have to be a lot better than maybe they've shown in a lot of games to get the result. And that's all you can ask for. What you don't want is, and sadly we see, we saw it too many times in the Daniel in the Premier League, teams turning up at Cairo, taking liberties and Norwich rolling over and, and not really even putting up a fight. If I, if I see a committed performance, um, energy, tempo, Kenny McLean looking like a man possessed, driving them on from the middle of the park, Pookie, you know, no Rashica obviously this weekend, but players around him on the turn, attacking, putting defenders on the back foot. If we see all of those elements and it isn't quite good enough because of the quality in the opposition ranks, then, you know, I think I could accept that, you know, Norwich fans would have to speak for themselves. But but certainly what we don't want is, um, oh, this is Manchester United. Look, at there's Ronaldo, there's Paul Pogba. On you go and roll over and, um, and walk off the pitch getting beat by two or three. I don't think anybody, fans, players or Dean Smith, should be willing to accept that. Very quickly then, Pad, how much would it... Um... How much would we have to pay for you to to replicate Cristiano Ronaldo's famous celebration? Do you think? Uh, I'd probably do it for a grand, Connor. If you want to crowdsource that, I'd probably do it. What, forgive me. What what is his famous celebration? You can really? see how much I watch United. It's not you, the you one. Know, the, the famous, yeah, the famous zoo on that one. What where he just jumps and turns in the air yeah. and then puts his hands yeah. there. Oh yeah, I'd do that for a grand. Yeah, no bother. 
Adam, yeah, would you do it for cheaper than a grand? That's 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 probably the the most pertinent question. Oh, match pad, I'll go a grand as well. A grand. So there you go. If, if anyone out there wants to donate two grand to see Paddy and Adam um, copy, can I just that that's not that's not well. Well, maybe as it's Christmas, I'll donate half of that to charity. But you know, I've got got a toddler who needs some Christmas presents, so that'd be that'd be well welcome to the uh, the kitty. It's not going to happen, but you never know. You can live in hope. There you go. Good stuff, gents. Um, thank you all very much for listening to this week's uh, NorwichCityPinkin.com podcast. Um, uh, Dave teased it in the last podcast, but we have also launched uh, our new app, Pinkham Plus. Uh, you can uh, check out our website, Pinkham.com, for all the details on that. If you uh, subscribe right now, you get a two-month free trial. So essentially, you won't be charged a penny until uh, until February when you take that up, I think it's 60 days free. Uh, in fact, it'll be one ninety nine thereafter. Plenty of exclusive content. Uh, there's going to be a little bit more of the podcast as well, which we're about to record. Uh, there's a certain Norwich City striker that we haven't really touched upon. We're going to discuss him in a bit more detail in that podcast. So um, subscribe to, to our app to listen to that. Uh, plenty more good stuff over there as well. It's, uh, it's well worth checking out. Thank you very much for listening this week. Let's hope uh, Carroll Road is a cauldron of noise for the visit of Manchester United on Saturday and hopefully I'll end with three more points. Thanks for listening.